Today's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 24 to 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has sent his seal. They said to him, What must he do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him and whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. And now as we come into this time during our service when we explore the word of God, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. Our liturgist, Terry Forston, has just read this familiar scripture from the Gospel of John, where Jesus says to the crowds, I am the bread of life. This is a familiar scripture, a comforting scripture, but let's dive in a little more deeply to see what's really going on here. The crowds at Capernaum were looking for Jesus. He has just fed the thousands, and they want to see more signs and wonders, more healings, more miracles. The crowds cry out, we want more food. Jesus fed them once, why not again? That's true of all of us, isn't it? What's in it for me? Even if we are generally selfless people, we can fall into that trap because it's the nature of our American ethos. We're attracted to miracles. They fill us with wonder. But it's a shallow wonder. It's a carnival prize instead of a well-crafted, long-lasting heirloom. We've come to expect that gift with purchase, that toaster with a new bank account, that cashback bonus with a new credit card, we live in a culture of what's in it for me. The people in Jesus' time were trying to figure out who he was and probably what he could do for them. They are looking for a quid pro quo, a transaction, 
what must we do to, they ask. And Jesus answers, believe. This leaves many of us with a conundrum, because while we do strive to believe, we know that we must act on our belief. For most of us, Micah 6 verse 8 is instructive as to what is required, right? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. But here in John's gospel, the people ask, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus is careful not to prescribe a quid pro quo and says, believe. But the conversation is multi-layered and doesn't end there. And it is clear that Jesus' intent was that we believe so that we can perform those acts of God found in Micah, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God. We have faith and we act on it. We are loved and we love. We pass it on by giving to our ministries and UMCOR, by serving on church committees and in our ministry settings. What does belief in Jesus mean? It's not just saying the believer's prayer. It's feeding someone and inviting them into transformed life. Hear that again. It is feeding someone and inviting them into transformed life. It's not transactional, meaning feed you and then you come and sit in a church pew. It's an invitation to have your physical needs met and then to participate in having your spiritual needs met. We act on our faith by mimicking Jesus, who is not just waiting for people to come to him. He is always going out to them. The question is, how do we help everyone survive? have what they need. Not only that, have an abundant life that we hear about later in John. The crowds in John are looking for the wrong thing. They ask for a sign, which is funny because they just saw a sign in the miraculous feeding, but apparently that wasn't enough. Jesus' miraculous deeds are always for two purposes, to rectify a human need and to reveal who he is. If you dwell only on one and not realize the other, you're missing the full point. God gives even faith, and it is this faith that is the key. Sometimes we come to church looking for the wrong thing. Sometimes as a church, do we look to provide the wrong thing? Benjamin Sparks writes, we are accustomed to inviting people into the community of faith for all the wrong reasons, for the right kind of worship, for political engagement on behalf of the poor and downtrodden, for the sake of a Christian America, for a strong youth and family ministry, for the opportunity to practice mission in a downtown location, or to go on mission trips to Africa or Central America. He goes on to say, yet what we have to offer in Christ and by Christ and because of Christ, first and foremost is soul food, which lasts forever and does not change with the changing circumstances of the church or the world. It is soul food, he says, that we desire, and soul food in which we will rejoice long after our bellies are full of rice and our lives finally know a justice in a free society. This is what we have to share. This is what we have to share. 
But in the crowds in Jesus' day, they didn't get it. They cried out, give us a sign so we can believe. Moses gave a sign, bread from heaven. And Jesus responds, that was the wrong kind of bread. That was manna. I am saying that God will give you the bread of life that gives life to the world. The crowds respond, eternal bread, food forever, count us in. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. Not bread that you can eat that will grant you physical life, but bread that will feed your soul. There's a difference between miracles and nourishment. There's a difference between feeding our bodies and feeding our souls. And we cannot stop at the superficial level. We need to go to that deeper spiritual level of abundant life, not just human life on this material plane, but to that spiritual life which exists eternally and in all dimensions in the depth of what we currently experience into the past of our ancestors and into the future of our progeny. Jesus reminds the crowds that the manna actually came from God, not Moses, and helps them understand that manna and miracles are temporary, but the bread of life is forever. That soul food is eternal. So what type of bread are we talking about here? If Jesus is, as he says, the bread of life, then so much depends on what kind of bread this is. Are we talking about mass-produced wonder bread marketed the whole world over, cheap calories airdropped over hot countries to win hearts and minds, and thus open up new markets to global corporate capitalism? It turns out that wonder bread is not an adequate substitute for injera, rye, naan, or wild rice. Even those signs at the duck pond at White Park remind us that wonder bread does not have the nutrition required for those creatures to survive. We, too, need substance and diversity. To say that Jesus is the bread of life is to say that love incarnate is the substance of the world, that on which the world feeds its collective soul. Sometimes I worry that I use that word love too much or too freely, but for me it so completely describes what God is, what religion is all about, and the substance of the bread of life feeding all of creation. It's that interconnectedness, that deep caring and compassion for others, that deep sense of belonging. This is, I think, what it means to understand Jesus as the Logos, the Word, as John does. That Jesus represents the organizing logic of the world, the dearest freshness deep down things, in the words of Jared Manley Hopkins, deep down in all things, and all of it's sacred. The bread of life isn't the human Jesus. It is the Jesus who is God, more than one man, three in one with the omnipotent creator, with the, with the Holy Spirit, which connects with divine love itself, so big and deep and wide, we can't even imagine, we don't even have words or concepts. That bread of life is the substance of the world. It is divine love. So when Jesus says, believe, he doesn't mean something passive. It's not standing in the market all day trying to get hired as a day laborer, just believing in him whom God has sent. It is trusting Jesus and acting on his teachings, actively engaging in the world, doing good in whatever way you are gifted to do.
impacting those closest to you. Jesus is not suggesting that people focus on intellectually assenting to a set of doctrinal ideas about who Jesus is relative to God. The Greek word that gets translated as believe in John is so much more active than that. It involves a doing of belief, a walking out on faith, a taking of risks in the name of Jesus. But it does make one wonder, is there a different way to live from this one where we feel we exchange our entire life energy for a paycheck and a couple of weeks of vacation a year? Is there some way that when we believe in the love that is incarnate in Jesus, we can take risks to help one another survive and so not need to make as much money or work as many hours or in jobs that are soul-crushing? Last week, I talked a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and we understand that if our basic needs are not met, it's impossible to go on. Children cannot learn without being fed or feeling safe. They must have those basic necessities of life, food and water and shelter and safety. We all do before we can pursue that deeper connection to spiritual life. And that's why this passage is so important. Jesus had just fed the thousands on a beautiful hillside. And now, having met those basic needs, was inspiring those crowds to be nourished spiritually, to understand that divine love is feeding their souls. This bread gives life to the world. This bread of life goes beyond just surviving to abundance. It's a great stewardship message for all of us any time of year because it reorients us, reminding us that everything we have comes from God and God continues to give. The story of God providing is not just one for the histories. It's one for the present age. It is not that God gave, but that God gives. Love feeds us abundantly, eternally. May it be so. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.